following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. We're in our series, The Shame Cycle, and I'm excited about this. This is our third and final installment. Is that anybody been, been enjoying the cycle, this this uh, series, series, not the cycle. Hopefully you're not doing the cycle. Don't enjoy the cycle. Uh, but enjoy the series, please. Um, so we looked at seduction the first week, that, which was two weeks ago. We talked about Genesis 3 and how the serpent was seducing Adam and Eve into sin. And the next week, we, which was last week, we looked at sin. And so we talked about uh, 1 Kings 19 where Elijah was facing this threat from Queen Jezebel, and we talked about what sin was. And then this week, we're going to look at shame, and that's our final one. And we're looking again at Genesis chapter 3, which is our kind of our theme verse for this series. And this, in this one, we're beginning to look at the latter half, which we looked, the first week we looked at the first half. This week, we're looking at the latter half. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, Adam and Eve, And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I'm going to talk to you this morning about winning your war inside. Each and every one of us, we have a battle inside of us against shame and the things that we face in this this life. And Adam and Eve first experienced this in the Garden of Eden. They, They took the fruit... And they ate it, and they realized that there was something wrong. And so they were afraid, and they hid from God. This is the first instance of shame in the Bible. Shame was something that really impacted them and, and held them captive. And so we, we began to, to experience this as a result of what Adam and Eve did. Shame is really just the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that if I did something, and if you found out what I did, then you would reject me. Because we all want connection in our life, right? We all want relationships. We want love in our life. Love gives us the, the chance to be encouraged when we're weak or to be taught how to succeed in life or to enjoy life with others or to, to just be cared for when we're down. So we want, we want to be supported. We want to be connected. And, and more than just enjoying life with others, that really is, is, comes to our identity, that our identity is tied to the relationships that we want to, we see ourselves in. Now, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor. All of those are relational terms. They're things I define myself with by my relationships, and so we're defined by that. So it's really, really important that we we feel like we're we're connected. That we have people around us that accept us and that love us. And because nobody wants to experience rejection, I remember the first time. I can remember, at least, that I experienced rejection. It was in fifth grade. I was swinging on the swings with my friend Travis, 
and there was a girl that kind of liked us both. And so we were swinging on the swings, and I think basically it came down to, like, choose one of us. Like, which one are you going to choose? And she chose me. So I felt really awesome then. And so we, we were dating in fifth grade, which was basically, like, I think standing next to each other on the playground in, in, in elementary school. And so, uh, but then a week later, a friend of mine gave me a note, and it said that she was breaking up with me. And so <laughs> she broke up with me. I think she wrote B-R-A-K-I-N-G, so it was something like with the car maybe. But, um, so I was broken up with by, by no, a Dear John letter when I was in fifth grade. So um, I experienced rejection. But right, we all, we all experienced rejection in different forms, whether it was being rejected from a, from a team, something as simple as that, to something more, you know, more important, like being rejected from a, from a relationship, from a friend, from a significant other, or even something really, really important, like, being feel, like feeling rejected from a family member. None of us want to feel that, because when we feel that way, then we feel shame in our lives. We feel like, like we've been rejected, and, and we feel like this fear of, of shame. See, shame is more than just the thing that I think I did something bad, or somebody thinks I did something bad. Shame is that I think I am bad. Shame is that is, is compared to guilt, and that guilt is, is, I said, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Shame is, I'm sorry I am a mistake. That's where shame can be so difficult in our lives because we begin to believe that, that we're not worthy to be loved, that, that we're, we're, we're to be pushed away, we're to be rejected by people. And so shame grows, if you were to put shame in a Petri dish, shame grows in judgment, silence, and seclusion. So those are some of the three things that we're going to be looking at today, judgment, silence, and seclusion, because Adam and Eve felt judged. When they ate the fruit in, in the Garden of Eden, they, they ate that fruit, and they began to understand what good and bad was. And so they had the power now to judge for themselves. That's really what, the, what, what eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. It wasn't that they wanted to just have the knowledge of good and evil, but that they could judge what was good and what was evil. But it ended up turning back on them because they judged themselves to be evil. They felt this judgment from themselves, but on themselves, because they known that they had turned away from their creator. They had turned away from a loving God that was with them. And so in the midst of all of this, they began to feel shame. And I think we can feel shame in our lives too. We can begin to think through that these thoughts go through our head that we're not good enough and that we'll never be good enough. And, and who do you think you are to even, even try things? And so we begin to have that. And, and, and 99% of the time, right, the critic that, that's pointing and laughing at us really is ourselves. Am I right about it? That, that as we, we experience shame in our lives, really most of the time, it's us pointing and laughing at ourselves in the mirror. It's this constant refrain in our minds of, of shame that, that we're never good enough. And it's amazing to think, though, that in the midst of the garden, when, when Adam and Eve were there, this God who had created them, that formed them from the dust of the ground, that he is also the one that intimately knows them and intentionally made them, and yet they're thinking that it's that same God who might judge them. That's what we can often think in our lives. 
that God will reject us, that God will push us away, that God will be disgusted at the notion of, of the things that we've done. But yet, God didn't, didn't create us, Adam and Eve, by, by accident, right? He didn't, he didn't just form them or, or they just happened to, to... God formed them. God knew them. God created them. And God created all of them. Not just their strengths, but also their weaknesses. Not just the good things, but also the, the things that he knew where they would be weak, where they would need other people. That's why God created Eve for Adam, because he said there was no suitable helper to be found. He knew that Adam would be weak in some ways. And he knew that you and I would be weak in some ways. Psalm 139.13 says, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, even as sinful human beings, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us fearful in the sense that he made us awesome. My daughter has a shirt that says, this is what awesome looks like. I think that's true for each and every one of us, that we can say this is what awesome in our way, in God's unique way, in the way that he made me, this is what awesome looks like. That's what the verse is saying. For you, that you are awesome and that you are wonderful. But it says that too, that it made God made you in the inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That means even that before the chance that you had a chance to make a decision for something bad, God already knew you. He knew everything about you. He knew what you were going to do. He knew he knows what you've done, and he knows where you are right now. He knows the thoughts that are going through your mind. So in the midst of all of this, God wants to speak into your life something better because he is intimate. He's an intimate God, and he knows you intimately. He's seen everything that you've done. He's been with you throughout all of that, and in the midst of all of that, Because he knows you better than anybody else in the entire world knows you, he knows that he loves you, that you are accepted. But in more than just that, he's not just an intimate God, but he's also an intentional God. He created you intentionally. You weren't an accident from God. God knew what he was going to do. You see, he planned you for a purpose, and he has a place for you, but he also has a place for you and your problems. You see, God, in in Ephesians 1.4, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You see, you can get pregnant by accident. You can have a baby by accident, but you can never adopt by accident. Nobody adopts by accident, right? Just sign the papers one day and, and just signing stuff away and up oh, up shows a kid. No, that doesn't happen. But God adopts us. That's what the Bible says, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters. And so God was intentional. You see, God chose you. He went through the halls of heaven. And as he walked, he looked to the left and to the right, and he chose you to be to one to follow him, to be with him. I remember when, I, when we have people over to our place, we've got to clean it up for a while, but before we have anybody over. But when we have people over to our place, you know, we, we, we prepare a place for them. We get ready. I don't want somebody walking over to my house and all of a sudden we just realize they're coming and then we start making dinner. No, that's not what we do. When we, when we want somebody to come over, we want them to feel special. 
We want them to feel invited. We want them to feel chosen, that we prepared a place for them. And that's how God is with us, that as he's there, he prepares a place for us. He prepared a place for you and your problems. He knows what he's getting when he chose you. He knows better than anybody else. And so he takes you. He takes you in, and he's, he's there to be with you. And so it stands to reason that if God is intimate, and if God is intentional in getting to know you, then it stands to reason that God is there to accept you. So who else can condemn you? Who else has the power to reject you? Because God has already accepted who you are. But that's why shame is so insidious. Because shame begins to corrupt us. It begins to to make us think that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough. And so Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, they feel naked. And for another word for naked, hopefully none of us feel naked right now. Um, we're not making this church into a nudist colony. Uh, but, off, but people do feel naked in another way. They feel vulnerable. That's what we talk about, that people feel vulnerable. And I think that's really how Adam and Eve felt, is they felt vulnerable. And so they, what they did is they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. Now, fig leaves would not be the best thing to cover yourself with. Fig leaves ha- actually have an irritant in them that cause a rash. And so it was a very itchy way to cover your, your vulnerability. Um, there was one time that, you know, I just, I know we do crazy things to cover our vulnerability. Um, one time, my wife and I, we were, we were playing kind of a kiss fight. Uh, I don't know if any couples in there. Hey, this is, this is grown-up church, right? So we can talk about this stuff. Um, so we were, um, I, was gonna, I was pretending to kiss her, and then I like, kind of redirected, and I, pretend I was, pretended I was going to give her a hickey. I was not going to actually give her a hickey. And so my wife's like, that's not how you give a hickey. And so she planted a kiss on my forehead, right in the middle of my forehead, kissed me so hard, left a big bruise right in the middle, and, and I had to go up and preach in a couple days. And so... Um, People are like, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, oh, I hit my head really hard. Uh, just, just a big bruise where I hit my head. So we do crazy things. We do crazy things to cover up our vulnerability, to, to make it seem like, like we're, there's nothing really wrong with us, like, like uh, you know, everything's okay. Because the problem is, is that our issues are not on the outside. Our issues are on the inside. So we can begin to cover things up and make things seem okay and not be vulnerable because then we will realize that maybe people won't reject us. Maybe people will still love us. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. This is the same author who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I dare Disney to go ahead and make a movie out of this one. Um, but, uh, but, but he's talking about vulnerability. That we don't want to be vulnerable oftentimes because what it means is risk. It's, yeah. it's the risk 
of rejection. If we show who we really are, then people won't really accept us. Then people will, will reject us. And then we'll have that fear of rejection, which is, which is shame in our lives. That we feel like we have to try to be something else or, or be somebody else. But what ha- happens then is people begin to love not really us. They begin to love a facsimile of us. Something that's just a, a made-up copy of us. And it's not a real relationship. And secretly, we, we're not inside. We're still being eaten away by the fact that there's a standard that, we, that we're being judged against that we can never measure up. We experience this in our lives daily. You know, we just, just this morning, I was trying to find clothes to put on amidst all of the boxes so that I could, I could, I could actually be dressed. And, and one of it, I just was actually just trying to be dressed. So, but right, we, we experience this every day, trying to, to live up to the standard of, of appearances, live up to the standard of, of, of wealth, live up to the standard of our house, and, and live up to the standard of, of who we are as people. And try to, to show the world something that's not really us. Brene Brown, who talks a lot about shame, she says, Vulnerability is the, also the birthplace of joy, creativity, innovation, and change. You see, when we're vulnerable, it's actually a, a birthplace of a lot of amazing things. Because we can start from reality, not from falsehood. Because nothing grows from falsehood. But when we can start with, with a real relationship and with who we really are, when we can define reality, then we can get to the point where we can begin to grow from an actual base, from who we actually are, and then amazing things can become, begin to happen. But she also says that vulner- a lack of vulnerability is the birthplace of shame. In other words, in shame, we begin to hide ourselves because we want to conform. Um, there's, she did a study, Brene Brown did a study, and there was, there was two ways, from, way, ways that women conform to try to live up to standards, and then there's ways that men conform. She said women conform in, in the sense that they want to be nice, they want to be thin, they want to be modest, they want to use all the resources for appearance. See, the idea is do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you sweat. That's kind of the, the image of that, that women are constantly facing is, do I, this, this is what I've got to live up to. Or for men, the way it was for men is uh, for men have emotional control. It's the, the primacy of work, the pursuit of status, violence. See, really for men, what it's all about is don't be perceived as weak, right? We, don't want, we want to be perceived as strong. We never want to be perceived as, as weak. And so we're constantly trying to live up, trying to conform to these standards to our life. And what happens is then, as we're constantly trying to work these things out, we can physically be there, but emotionally be separated because we're never really there. We're always thinking about how do I conform? How do I reach up? And so realistically, I, I, I'm not really here. I'm, I'm somewhere else. I'm, I'm thinking about how can I be better at work? How can I, how can I have, have a better car? How can I be better at this? How can I do this? And it never allows me to be present and to be real with the ones who are around me and to really be, be with people. And so I'm, I'm hiding behind a screen. See, there's, we're, we're hiding behind a screen. I'm going to show you what this looks like. I'm hiding behind a screen. Right? 
I'm here behind a screen, and, and you don't get to see who I am. How creepy is this, right, that I'm behind a screen? But you think I'm not the only one hiding behind a screen. We've all got, got screens that we're hiding against, screens that were, that were there. And, and as we're, we're there looking at our screens and trying to, to be behind our screens, we're trying to show who God is creating us to be. I, I want to show you a, a picture. Um, you can put that up there now. Okay, so the, to the, how, what's your side? One side is me. The other side, uh, I have this thing called, it's called a face app. So the left side is the original. I know it's hard to tell. <laughs> but on the right side, on the right side is, is the made-up version, right? It's what we want people. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool, actually. I, look, I think I look pretty good there. So, um, but we, we want to we air, airbrush. Airbrush the pictures. Airbrush the wrinkles. Airbrush the, the cellulite. Airbrush all of those things that, that don't make us not conform to the image that we're so desperately trying to live up to because we want to experience the love of God, the love of others in our life. And so we're constantly looking for ways to do that and to be who God has called us to be, not realizing that God has already done that in our lives. And so we try to numb vulnerability in our lives. And there's a lot of different ways that we numb vulnerability. First, we place blame. We place blame on others. That the reason I'm not living up to this is because of what others have done or have not done for me. And, and, we, and we can see that as, as God begins to confront Adam and Eve in their sin, they start blaming other people. And so that we place blame. And it, it not only ruins our identity, but it begins to destroy our relationships because we're constantly trying to live up to a standard. And when we're, when we're confronted about, about our falsehood, about our false identity, then God... Then then what begins to happen is we begin to, to react against people. No, that's not true. I get, we get upset. And, and so we place blame on others. Another way is we, we try to perfect. You know, do it all perfectly. You know, for the daughter, make, make tennis and, and then make Yale by seventh grade. And we want everybody to be perfect. And so we, we constantly, again... It ruins relationships because we're constantly trying to have people be perfect, have ourselves be perfect. We get stressed out, lose hair, we actually start looking less perfect because we're trying to be perfect. And lastly, we pretend. We pretend and try to pretend and who, who, uh, that everything's okay. You know, at, at church, the, when it's amazing because a miracle happens every Sunday at church, right? People say miracles don't happen anymore. It, miracles really do happen. Because, you know, the family wakes up in the morning, they try to get everybody ready, they try to get people off, and then the, the husband or the wife is driving and they're yelling at each other as, because they, they, didn't, they ran a stoplight or because they weren't driving fast enough or something, and then they walk through the halls of the church and, bah, miracle happened. Because everybody asks, how are you doing? And what's the answer we give them? Great. great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. And we pretend we pretend because we want to purport, we want to show, portray an image of who we are. And so we, we try to numb our vulnerability, but the problem is that you can't numb, you can't selectively numb feelings. When we try to numb all the hard feelings of, of vulnerability, of, of all of the things that, that we don't want, of, we begin to also numb the good feelings of joy and gratitude and happiness 
Because I was reading a book one time. I was a chaplain in the ER at Harborview Medical Center. Really, really strenuous job, like crazy, just all the things that I saw while I was there. But in the midst of all this, I was reading a book called Where is God When It Hurts? Because I was trying to figure out how do I, how do I bring hope to people in these traumatic instances? And, and while, they were, while I was reading this book, it was talking about a leprosy colony. And it was talking about how pain, when, when they lost all sense of pain, then they could be standing on top of a fire and their leg burning, and they didn't even know. Or they could have a cut, a major cut on their hand, and they didn't know because they, didn't, they couldn't feel pain anymore. You see, pain is an indicator that something is wrong and that something needs to be healed. And when we begin to numb the pain inside of us because we don't want to deal with it, we begin to also numb the, the good things that God wants to work in our life. Because God is putting a, there might be a pain in there because God wants to heal that pain. But we don't want to open it up. And so we keep a, a, a band-aid over the wound, but the wound is festering underneath. And we've got to rip the band-aid off and have it be cleaned out. Have people speak into your life. Have God's grace and mercy pour into our hearts so that our, our wounds can be healed and no longer fester inside. We've got to be healed in all of that. Because secretly inside, maybe we're dying. We're dying inside because we're not letting ourselves be, be shown, be known, really. So in order to co- cope with all of this, we try to add more things to, to fill all the emptiness that's inside of us. And, and this is the shame cycle. This is the, the seduction that we're seduced into sin to try to cope with life. And then we sin and we turn away from God. And then we experience shame what we're talking about today. But as we experience shame, then we try to, to find more ways to cope and ways to cope that's outside of God's will for our lives. And, and so the, it's just a downward spiral uh, and that eats away, corrupts our identity, who God created us to be. And so it goes sin, sedu- sorry, seduction, sin, shame, seduction, sin, shame, seduction, sin, shame. But I know that there's another S that, that came come in there and that's called sacrifice. That Jesus' sacrifice would come in to break the, sin, the shame cycle so that we would begin to know that God's mercy for our lives and what he's calling us to. See, in Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. See, before they had turned away from God, before they had turned away from, from judging what was right and what was wrong, they were able to be completely vulnerable before God and feel no shame because they realized that God accepted them for who they are in spite of all of their, their weaknesses, in spite of all of their flaws. God was there for them, and they could live in an intimate and intentional relationship with God because they knew, they knew that he knew who they were. Amen. That's what God is calling us to. That in the midst of our lives, that God would say, I know that you're there. I know all the things, but I prepared a place for you. God's prepared a place. In Romans 8, I'm going to close with this. Close the first half of my message. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. 
Who then is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, which we're celebrating next week, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor here, this is a blank slate for whatever else you're struggling with, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, we don't have to be afraid of rejection because God has already accepted us. And if he's accepted us, then who can condemn us? Who can reject us? No one. No one is able to because God is already there for us, loving us and on our side. And you see, sometimes there might be a mountain of shame between you and the life as God called you to live. But in the midst of that, on the other side of that, when you've become a conqueror of your shame through Jesus Christ and his love for you on the cross, that when you become a conqueror, on the other side is your freedom. Is your freedom that God has given you, freedom to walk in who he's called you to be, freedom to live and to love who God has called you to live to love because you live a life without shame because his love is sufficient for you. Let me pray for you before we move forward. God, thanks for this. Thanks for this message. Lord, I pray that you defeat shame in our lives. God, it is a liar. It is a, a, a stealer, a thief of our life. God, in the midst of that, that we, we experience just downfall in relationships because of shame. But God, I pray that you would lift us up and help and cast our eyes toward heaven, Lord. That, that we look on, on to you, Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, God. But that you endured the cross, scorning the shame, God, for the joy set before you. God, that we would have a joy set before us. A joy of freedom in you, Jesus. Because the life that you are calling us to live, a life without shame, because of your sacrifice, came and broke the shame cycle. That we would begin to have a new identity, adopted as sons and daughters in your name. Thank you, Jesus. In all this we pray. Amen.